We're going to be in the book of Romans, of course, this morning, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Thank you, Pat. I'll be in Romans chapter 4 this morning, so have your Bible open to Romans chapter 4. Pat uh, read verses 1 through 8. Our message this morning will be covering verses 1 through 12. Romans 4, uh, 1 through 12. And the, uh, the title of the message today is The Search for Peace. The Search for Peace. Um, the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. But it, that's what they say. The home of Disneyland is the United States, which is most decidedly not the happiest place on earth. Uh, semi-annually or every now and again, they issue uh, what is called the World Happiness Index. If you don't believe me, you can Google it. And uh, the United States is not the happiest place on earth. It does break the top 20. We are number 19 on the list of the happiest countries of earth. Uh, we are not as happy as Finland. Those folks are happy as they can be. I mean, Finland is number one. If you want to be happy, I guess, call Finland home. Uh, countries that are happier than the United States. Uh, Costa Rica. Uh, sunny, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Iceland. So that kind of knocks that out. Um, Israel is happier than the United States. United Kingdom is happier than the United States. Germany is happier than the United States. Having a little bit of German in my background, I, I find that surprising. Always upset about something. In fact, there's an entire section of the World Happiness Index dedicated to trying to understand why the United States isn't happier. So they do this whole report, which covers lots of different topics. There's an entire section of that report that says, what in the world is wrong with the people in the United States? The happiness index in the United States has been on steady decline since the early 2000s. And basically, it's this. We have the highest standard of, the, of living in the world by far throughout all of history, and we're just miserable. We're at least more miserable than 19 other countries, many of whom their standard of living is much lower. And the question is, why aren't we happier? We have everything we could have ever wanted, even those who are relatively low on the income scale in the United States still have more than many people in countries where the standard of living is much lower. The question is, why aren't we happy? This is the search for peace, the search for happiness, the search for contentedness, rest, Sabbath, a sense of okayness, like the world is all rightness. Where is this quest? Where, where is the, the, the holy grail of everything's going to be okay? We can have peace. So we have two sections to our message this morning, verses 1 through 8, the search for peace is the joy of being freely forgiven. The search for peace comes and is a result of the joy of being freely forgiven. And finally, the search for peace, forgiveness is 
for everyone. And you're going to, many of you came to church and you say, well, of course, in church, the answer to peace is forgiveness. I'm going to argue that's actually the, the whole search for peace for everyone. It's not merely a religious answer. It's actually the answer. And that is the answer to the question the World Happiness Index is trying to figure out. People need to be made right with, be made right with God through forgiveness. And in the absence of that, we will search for anything else to be made happy. And it doesn't work. Or it certainly doesn't work uh, permanently. So let's begin in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, beginning in wor- verse 1. Let me read the first five verses again. Pat already read them. It's worth reading them again. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What was gained according to his flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Now to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We find peace when we find the joy of being freely forgiven. That is, forgiveness that is not earned, but forgiveness that is granted without cost freely. Forgiveness granted that has no cost and is voluntarily or freely given. A story is told about a kid who goes into an electronics store, goes in every couple of days for months, and he plays a video game. There's a little video game system set up. I can't remember which one it is. He's playing the video game, plays every couple of days after school. Finally, Christmas break comes. He's going in He's going in a little earlier because there's no school. He's made friends with the employees, walks in, has, how's it going, Bill? Goes over and starts playing his video game, right? Pretty soon, there's employees around the kid. And he's concerned now that, you know, he's not going to be able to play anymore. He's in trouble. They're going to tell him, you can't come in and play a video game anymore. And they, they're around the kid, but they don't. One of the employees hands him a new video game system that all of the employees chipped in to buy for him. And they said, you know, we think you like the thing because you come in every couple of days and play in it. So here's one of your own. Of course, the kid thought this was a joke, thought it was a a practical joke or there was some kind of trap or whatever. And he initially tried to refuse it. But finally, they convinced him, no, we got you this thing. It's yours. You can go. And he said, no, I'm not walking home with this expensive thing under my arm. Somebody will take it. So somebody had to walk home with him. This is how hard it was for him to receive this free gift. He, could, he didn't have a category in his mind that people he don't, doesn't know would just buy him something that he could never possibly afford on his own. And it took a lot of convincing to convince him to actually take it. And what the Bible wants to tell us against our own personal preferences and our own personal bent, there is great blessing that is joy peace, rest, uh, contentedness, uh, Sabbathness. There's great blessing in being forgiven by God that is unearned, receiving the forgiveness of God without it being earned. Look down at verse uh, 7 just real quick to show you where we're getting this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are, are forgiven. This is where we're going with this. He's saying there is blessing that comes when your lawless deeds are are forgiven. And so this is the point he's making. There is great joy in being freely forgiven. Okay, let's start in verse 1 and 2. If Abraham was justified by his works, he had something to boast about. Was Abraham justified by his works? 
No. The Bible says he was justified because he believed God. He was made right because he believed God. But let's pretend he could be justified by his works. Would he have something to boast about? The answer is sure. He can boast all he wants. Gave money to a guy. He bought somebody coffee. He uh, donated at the office. He gave somebody a couch. I don't know, whatever it might be. That's something real nice. He could, he could boast. But could he boast before God? I don't think so. Because God is completely righteous. So if Abraham earned his righteousness, maybe he could boast, but his righteousness is not enough that he could boast before the Lord because he can't be that righteous. So is Abe, is Abraham an example to us of somebody who is religious and pious and good enough to receive God's favor? And the answer is, no, he is not. And the reason this argument is being made is in the first century, especially among folks who were Jewish, they held Abraham up as this great example of religious piety. If you want to be a good, religious, uh, scrupulous Jew, uh, look to Father Abraham as your example of someone who through religion and ritual and uh, dedication can earn God's favor. And the Apostle Paul is turning that argument on his head and saying, actually, he received righteousness not because of any of those things. He received righteousness because of his faith. Look at the end of verse 3. What does the scripture say? Genesis 15, 6. If you want to keep score at home, you can look it up later. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God made a promise to Abraham. You will inherit the land you are walking on. You and uh, your wife are going to have a whole bunch of kids. And you will be a blessing to the entire world. And Abraham believed him. Okay, I buy that. I believe you. I trust you, God, that you are both able to provide these things you are promising and you want to provide these things you are promising. And because he believed God, God credited to him, counted to him, uh, affirmed that Abraham was righteous. And here's the argument that he is making. He said, listen, he was righteous only because he believed, not because he followed rituals or he was religious or he was a good guy. Things Abraham hadn't done yet. Abraham hadn't had any kids. Abraham hadn't argued that God should redeem Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham had not yet offered Isaac on the sacrifice. Abraham, as we're going to discover in the second part, had not yet been circumcised. And God counted to him righteousness. Other things Abraham hadn't done yet. Hadn't offered his wife to another man. Twice. Okay, if you're picking teams for God, are you picking Abraham knowing that just down the road he's going to offer his wife to another man twice? What would you say? Good religious guy? I don't think so. This guy's a train wreck. And yet God credited to him what? Righteousness. Did God know all the bad things Abraham was going to do? As it turns out, God knows everything. So Abraham received righteousness, not because he was good, not because he eventually would be good, not because he swore off all the bad things he was doing and promised not to do any of the bad things anymore. He was righteous. Why? He believed God. I trust you, God. You're that good, and you can afford to give me what you promised, and I think you will give me what you promised. And therefore, he received by faith as a gift that is unearned righteousness. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. Beginning in verse 13, we need to understand that this goes beyond Abraham's life. You can read all of Hebrews 11 later. We don't have time. 
We're going to start in verse 13. Here's what it says. These all died. These are believers in the Old Testament who died in faith, including Abraham. Listen, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. God promised Abraham what? The land, whole bunch of kids, and the world would be blessed through him. Did he receive all of those things before he died? No. He had a few kids. He had no land. And the world, maybe you could say, was blessed through him a little, but the whole world hadn't been blessed through him yet. So all of these things had not yet happened, and yet he died. But listen, here's what happened. Having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. As it is, verse 16, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So we discover something here in Hebrews about Abraham's faith way back in Genesis 15. He believed God would grant what he promised, but he believed God was doing more than just giving him a good week or a good life. He knew God was creating for himself a people, and he would one day enjoy the presence of God where God was going to be in that city. So Abraham's faith was beyond just, God bless me this week. I want a good week. I want to have a kid. I want to have some real estate. He was trusting the Lord to forgive him because he wanted the Lord. He wanted God's forgiveness because he wanted relationship with God himself, knowing that he would spend forever with God. So his faith was, I trust God beyond just today or this week or this year, or even my life. I trust God. He's going to culminate everything into him, and I want to be wherever he is. And this is what Abraham's faith was. Not just merely what is going on today, but what is going on forever. Where am I going to be a thousand years from now? And Abraham's faith was, I want to be where the Lord is, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness, a dependency on God, a life of saying, God is that good, and he will provide me his grace. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It'll be on the screen, uh, and, uh, and these are very familiar to you, but I'm going to read them nonetheless. What does it mean to have faith in God? Here's what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by God's grace. That is, God extending to his, us his favor even though we don't deserve it. Another place in Scripture it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for us not because we were turning to him. Christ died for us when we were turning away from him. So it, by his grace, he extends to us his kindness of forgiveness. And the question is, do we trust him? Would God really forgive people like us? Would God really offer free forgiveness to you and to me, knowing full well what we have done before and knowing full well what we're going to do next week. Would God forgive us? And what's the answer according to the scripture is yes, he would. The question is, do we trust him? Do we depend on him to save us? Do we recognize the frailty 
of our own righteousness. Do we recognize we cannot do anything that would lead us to boast before the Lord? Has anybody here, did anybody do any good deeds this week? Not this group, yeah. First service, they did a lot. Um, I'm kidding. Um, We do do good things. We do do good things. We do good things. The question is not whether or not we have the ability to do something good. The question is, do we have the ability to do something good that would make us righteous before God? If you're able to do something good enough or enough something's good enough to make you righteous before God, it just simply means you are God. And nobody's buying it, by the way. You're not. Because God is perfectly and completely righteous. In order to stand before God in our own sense of righteousness, we would need God's righteousness. And our, we have to recognize we aren't able to be that good. And so in that frailty, we just simply come before the Lord and say, God, I come before you not because I am good, but because Jesus was good for me. And he paid the penalty for my sin on the cross and I have hope of life forever because he is raised from the dead. And that's, it's simply, do we believe what God says about the reality of the situation? Our frailty, our brokenness, as well as his holiness. The way we receive righteousness is by faith alone. And that's how Abraham received his righteousness. Only because God is generous. Many of us have come to believe that God is a cheapskate. We have a a religious, theological understanding that God is generous because we feel like we have to say, well, sure, God is generous. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. But throughout the ins and outs of the day day in and day out of our life, we come to the conclusion over time that he's kind of a cheapskate because we've asked for stuff and he said no, because things haven't gone our way, because life isn't always coming up roses, because sometimes things get sideways. And if God was a good God, he would never let this happen. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, if you're a good God, you would never have let this happen. Of course you've prayed that. You're alive. Everybody's prayed that. But it betrays what's going on in our heart. We think he's a cheapskate. He's holding out on us. If we think God is holding out on us, it's hard to trust him to really freely forgive us. And that's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to undermine our confidence that God is that generous. If God was generous enough to forgive you from your sin, then why didn't he get you the job you wanted? See how that works? He said, well, I would never think that. Of course you do. We all do. If God, how come God is only generous in religious stuff, but not in real stuff? You got quiet there for a minute. What was Abraham hoping for? Real stuff? Yes. But what was his hope? Hebrews 11. The real stuff of an eternal city. We're not playing fairy tales. We're not playing a make-believe. Christians believe this life is short, sweet, love Jesus, worship him, because life that we were actually built for is coming. The, the real life we want to live is not this life. It, the hope of heaven isn't something merely to give me enough strength to get through today. The hope of heaven is the hope because that's where God is. And if God's a cheapskate, then heaven is lame and I need something from God other than forgiveness. But by his grace, 
He is generous and he says, I have forgiven you for all you have ever done and all you have ever will do. Okay, look at verses, uh, I think, 8, 9, and 10, or 7, 8, and 9 of Romans 4. Turn with me there. Uh, let's see, what is it? 6, 7, and 8. I got it right. You just heard it wrong. Here's what it says. This is David speaking, Psalm 32, if you want to look it up and read the whole psalm. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, excuse me, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. David here is saying in this psalm, and this is a psalm of confession, he is saying, listen, the person who has experienced the forgiveness of God experiences God's peace, his blessing. Look at verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. What's a lawless deed? Lawless deed is this. Here's a rule. Don't do this. And then we say what? Well, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. Since you've got a rule, now that sounds like fun. I wouldn't have even occurred to me to do that. But since you've got this fantastic rule, now that's all I want to do. And so therefore, what do we do as good Christians? We do it with nobody knowing. I mean, we just break the rule. Blessed are those who are strong enough not to do lawless things. Is that what it says? Blessed are those who do lawless things but keep them hidden. No. Blessed are those who do lawless things but not to the degree that other people do lawless things. No. What's it say? Blessed are those who do lawless things and they just get forgiven. Just forgiven. It, they're just, no, it's covered. It's okay. There's no cost. You are made righteous. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That is a blessing to be a man or a woman who has sinned. And the Lord says this, don't worry about it. And, and what we do is say, no, 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 no. There's a catch I, I've got to earn it. I've got to feel bad about it, maybe. I've got to... Uh, let's start there. Don't, do you feel like to, for God to forgive you, you got to feel bad about it? I know a lot of people, listen, God's not going to forgive me if I don't have kind of a vibe of... I feel bad, okay? Why would God forgive me if I... Let me put it this way. Let's say you have sinned. Not you guys, first service. Let's say they sinned, and they feel bad about it. How about this, though? Do they feel bad enough? You ever thought about that? Let's say you, you feel like you did something bad and you actually do kind of feel bad about it. I mean, I'm way past that, but maybe you're there, you know. You do something. Do you feel bad enough? Of course you don't. Do you feel bad enough that you think somebody should die for that sin? No, then you don't feel bad enough because God said somebody needs to die. So if you want to claim some sort of sense of righteousness that you feel bad about what you did, congratulations. You don't feel bad enough, though. Because you don't think somebody should die for cutting somebody off or for cheating on their taxes or for saying a bad word. Well, no, you, should, you just kind of feel kind of sorry for it. I don't think so. Jesus died. Blessed. What does that mean? Skipping around the room, feeling pretty good, are the man whose sins are forgiven. That's what it says. It's blessed are those whose sin, lawless deeds are forgiven. The pursuit of peace and joy in our hearts is when we finally believe God that he is that good 
and that generous and that kind. He just says, no, Jesus paid for it. You're good. You're squared away. You want to hang out? Well, Lord, I think I need to mope some more. What are you talking about? Bless it. Sorry, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Depending on God alone for our righteousness, we don't get to earn any of it. We don't get to earn any of it. Let's keep that going. Search for peace. Forgiveness is for everyone. Let's read verses 9 through 12. Here's what it says. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not circumcised merely but who walk in the footsteps of Abraham, uh, walk on the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The search for peace, forgiveness is for everyone. Abraham received righteousness by faith before he was circumcised, is, is the argument Paul is making. So for the Jew, who to be a, Jew, a Jewish man needed to be circumcised, Paul was saying a Jew may be circumcised, but he is not righteous by that. He's also saying for the Gentile who is not circumcised, you are not righteous by becoming a Jew who is circumcised. Abraham is the father of those who would be made righteous by faith. The uncircumcised Gentiles made righteous by faith. And the Jewish man who is circumcised is made righteous by what? Faith. Because both count Abraham as their father of faith, which is by righteousness alone. And so in the search for peace, forgiveness is for everyone. God's forgiveness is by its very nature, non-exclusive, available for all who would believe, available for any who would believe. Was Abraham pious? No. Was Abraham religious? No. Abraham wasn't even circumcised the way a good Jewish man were circumcised when he was righteous by faith. Then how could God possibly make Abraham righteous if he wasn't pious and he wasn't religious and he wasn't even, in, in many ways, Jewish? The answer is God is that generous that he would offer righteousness to all who would believe. Righteousness is by gift. It's not by ritual. It's not by uh, dedication. Righteousness is, do I trust uh, in the Lord? And the Jews at the time of Paul's day were making the argument, sure, uh, you, you do have to believe God, but really to seal the deal, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to be Jewish and you've got to go to the temple. And Paul is saying, that's not what Abraham did. There was no temple. And when he was made righteous, there was no circumcision. His righteousness is by faith only. And the search for peace is for anyone uh, who would believe. We tend to make this error that, uh, that there are only certain people who can really believe. We tend to have that in our mind that there are certain kinds of people that will have a relationship with the Lord. We create in our minds artificial lines in the sand that God will only forgive certain things. That, that when you believe in God, you look and act a certain way. 
The Jews of Paul's days would make this argument. Sure, believe in Jesus. Trust him to forgive you for your sins. But anybody who really loves Jesus at the end of the day is going to look Jewish. And we tend to do that even in our own minds. We say, we say, yes, faith is for everyone. But if you believe in Jesus, certainly you're going to act the way I do. And certainly you're going to do things the way I do. And the Bible is saying here, Abraham is the father of those who would believe, not those who would act a particular way. All people who have faith in Christ have access to God. There are no cool kids in the church. Now, non-believers know that instinctively. They've been to church. Yeah, there's, there's no cool people. But we're hanging around, maybe you're hanging around with church people. You say, yeah, of course there's no cool people, but there's cool-ish people in the church. And the Bible is saying absolutely not. There's no uh, hierarchy of awesomeness in the body of Christ. There is no uh, super awesome Christian and not so awesome Christian. There is as righteous in Christ by faith and not yet made righteous by Christ in faith. There, there isn't any kind of uh, mentality that you got to work your way up the Christian food chain. We do this in a lot of ways. We, we assume uh, that, that people who tend to have maybe uh, a greater intellectual capacity or greater discipline to read or greater ability to understand complex ideas and so they can really chew through difficult things in their faith. Well, they're, they're at a better, higher sphere religiously and, than me because I don't like to read books with big words and I like books with pictures. And so therefore, since I don't read that much and since I don't know that much and uh, therefore, I must be junior-level Christian. Some of you feel that way. You say, well, since I don't know as much as that guy, or I don't know as many verses memorized as that person, I'm Christian second class. Does the Bible leave any room for that kind of mentality in the body of Christ? Absolutely not. And some of us, in terms of our sin patterns, we sin in really Christian ways. We just get sort of annoyed at traffic. We would never roll down our window and extend a sign. You're number one to a fellow driver. I did it this week. I didn't flip him off. Uh, but he passed me in the median on Lozier Lane. You know, there's two lanes and then a turning lane. And he's like, and he's some teenage driver. And I thought, you know what would really help him understand the safer way to drive is if I try to match his speed. Like, and he's in a hurry. And I'm just, and then I get to the point like, I'm an idiot. Anybody, okay, I'm an idiot. I got my two boys in the back. What am I teaching them? All the right stuff is what I'm teaching them. I, no, I'm kidding. That's terrible. Ask Jack. I, he was there. He was terrible. I didn't lose my temper much. And so we said, well, that's a real Christian way to sin. But how about drinking so much we black out on Friday night? Christians don't do that, do they? I mean, Christians would never get so upset that they blow up at their boss and drop every F-bomb in the, in the, in the book. Christian would never walk out on his family and go stay in the hotel because he's so mad at him. Christians would, there are certain lines in the sand. We say, well, there must be something wrong with him because he would do that. What? Where did we create this? Well, this is because we've created in our minds, oh, sure, you get righteousness from God by faith, but if you want me to recognize your righteousness, you're going to need to toe the line, and there's a certain standard we expect you to behave like. Since none of us can pull it off, what we do is we just don't tell anybody the way we sin. 
Because we know if we tell people what's actually going on in our life, they will judge us as not righteous, and we don't want to do that. And the Bible says Abraham is the father of those who struggle with sin and need God's righteousness. He is the spiritual father of those who believe and say, I can only be made righteous by Christ alone. There's no second-class members of the family of God. We need to make sure in our own heart and minds we don't judge ourselves as second-class members, and we better make real sure we aren't putting onto others the stamp of second-class member of the family of God. Because when we stand before the Lord, we're going to realize how our Father sees them, and it may be very different than us. All right, let's keep going. I have no idea where we're going because none of that was in my notes. Look at verse 12. God made Abraham the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So here's the application I want to make from this. Is faith in Christ, is faith for, from Christ for our righteousness, but it's, it's, it's directional. It has a trajectory. So if I'm trusting Christ for my righteousness, my faith is taking me toward Christ. Does that make sense? So it's a, it's a misunderstanding in the book of Romans to say he saves us so we can do whatever we want. He saves us for Christ, and that means the pattern of our life, we're going to see in Romans 12, as an act of worship, is toward Christ. That's why I use the word walk. Okay, go back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We'll just look at verse 10. You, you, again, you know this verse, but it's worth reviewing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved by faith and made righteous, but that righteousness takes us toward Jesus. So it's a walk of righteousness towards Christ in his righteousness. So we see that in Abraham's life if you read Genesis. It's a walk of righteousness. Now, it's some days are better than others. Some days are real good. Some days are real bad. But it's a walk of righteousness. It says, I'm not earning my righteousness, but having been made righteousness, righteous, I want my life to be leading towards the Lord. So faith takes me towards him in a walk of righteousness. Uh, last verse, Ro- uh, not Romans. What is it, Ephesians? Ephesians 4.1. Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to... Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's saying here, where's our righteousness from? Christ. But having been made righteous, let's walk in a manner that recognizes he is our righteousness. That's a life of worship, of saying, I want today to be set aside for the Lord. When I struggle with sin, I'm going to repent. If he calls me to do something good, I'm going to, by the power of the Spirit, seek uh, to be obedient. But faith in Christ gives us righteousness but moves us towards him. Does that kind of make sense? Okay, good, thanks. Uh, A couple of quick things, and we're going to close with this. Uh, God only gives his righteousness freely. He cannot be obligated. He cannot be leveraged. He cannot be made to do what you want. Maybe you've had this happen in your life. You do something really, really, really good. I mean, really good. I don't know what it is. Whatever in your mind, you do something really good. Like, oh man, it cost you a lot, and it was selfless, 
Nobody knows about it. You, you, you dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, checked all the boxes. This is a spiritual act of worship. And God had the gall to let bad things happen to you that week. And, and has this ever happened to you? You hit it out the park with a good deed, and Friday you get fired. Or you, you get home and you have a fight with your wife or your kid or your, your husband. Or the dog runs away. Or all of a sudden your life is a country song. But, but God, I did something good. Since I did something good, you are therefore obligated, right? No. No, God cannot be obligated. God only gives freely. And the greatest gifts he gives us is his free gift of righteousness. So I might ask us as Christians is this. How are you trying to impress God with your life? How are you trying? Are you trying to impress him with your prayers? Are you trying to impress him with your Bible reading? Or are you trying to impress him with the kind of people you hang around with? Are you trying to impress God? I got bad news. He's not impressed. He's only impressed with Jesus. So if I want to impress God today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wake up again today. Lord, I'm not impressive. I need Jesus again today. Is God impressed with his son? Yes. And by faith, that righteousness is credited to us, and God is impressed with Jesus in us. And that's a free gift, not because we deserve it. Okay, last thing is this. Uh, there might be one or two of us have done not just good things, but we've, uh, we've hit some home runs in the sin department. Have you ever, you've got a couple of things on your rap sheet that uh, they're, they're, they're doozies. And, and for some of us, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know how to even say it, so I, I don't want to offend you too bad. For some of us, those things weren't even before we met the Lord. They were after. You know, we want to, it's nice, I guess, we can do all the real big ones before we meet the Lord, then we can have a really cool testimony story. But for some of us, those real home runs were actually after we became a Christian. The only thing I'm wondering is, did you maybe somewhere along the line become convinced you messed up so bad, this whole free gift of righteousness deal just doesn't apply to you? That you've got to carry that shame and guilt. That you've got to atone for it. You've got to make up for it. You've got to pay God back for it. I'm just reading my Bible, and I'm just telling you the truth. You don't have to. You're just made righteous in Jesus. You're as righteous as Christ when we trust him. Nobody can out-sin the cross of Christ. Nobody can out-die the resurrection of Christ. In Christ, you are righteous. You can set aside that shame. You can set aside that guilt by faith. And that's what peace feels like. And that's what blessing feels like. That's what everybody in our country is searching for through money and through influence and through all this other stuff. It only comes through free forgiveness in Jesus Christ.